Genesis 21. So, here we have it. The Lord came to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for her what he had promised. And so, Isaac was born. They named him Isaac, and Abraham circumcised him on the eighth day, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So that makes Sarah uh, 91. And she said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears me will laugh with me. And that, I think, is just awesome, because they named Isaac, he laughs, because they were laughing at the promise of God in disbelief. And laughing in disbelief as if something were a joke is very, very different from laughing at something because it is so joyful and true. And both of them laughed. Abraham laughed once. And and that's when uh, God said, you're going to name him Isaac, which is he laughs. And then later, Sarah laughs. Um, years later, when when they hear the promise again, and she's like, "How how could this even happen?" And then she denies it, and then there's a no, you did laugh, which is the weird, what the weirdness going on. Um, but then here, he's finally here, and he's born, and she laughs, and they take that name that was a mark of disbelief, and she turns it around and redeems that word and that name, the name of Isaac to be a joyful representation of something that um, she didn't really believe, but now she has it. She has the promise in her hands. So the child grew and was weaned, and apparently this is a thing, but they had a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. Which is cool. But Sarah saw the son mocking, and that would be Ishmael. So Ishmael was at this party, and uh, and he, at this point, he's 14 years old, and in our day and age, a 14-year-old mocking is just par for the course, and we just ignore it, and we're just like, eh, well, 14-year-olds, what are you going to do? But in this day and age, there was a lot of weight put on honor and respect, and, and, uh, Obviously, Ishmael is not living up to that in this household. And so she says, drive out this slave because she's not the promised son. She's not the one that your heir is going to, you know, she's, you know, Ishmael is not going to get the inheritance. It's going to go through your bloodline through Sarah. And I like that this there's this one verse in here. I really love that it's in here. It says, Now this was very difficult, was a very difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. I think a lot of times we think of we think of Ishmael as just some outcast. But Abraham knew Ishmael, and he's fourteen years old. They he taught him things, they learned things together. In fact, if you go back just a little ways earlier, um, just a year before, or two years before, or just a, a handful of years before, um, Abraham uh, actually Abraham thinks that the promise 
that God gave him was to be through Ishmael. God says, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, yeah, you did that. We've got Ishmael. And, and so he, like, this is his treasured son. Sarah didn't think so. She didn't like it because she wasn't a part of that. Well, she was. She helped cause that, but she was not, she was not, she was not the mother. She pushed on making it happen, and then she was jealous and wanted no part of it. But Abraham, I mean, this is his son, his son that he loved, that he taught. At the at age 14, he would be considered a young man. And, uh, yeah, so it was very difficult for him. But God said to Abraham, do not be concerned about the boy and your slave. Whatever says to you, listen to her, because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. So early in the morning, we've got that immediate obedience again. Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put it on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her and the boy away. Now that seems incredibly harsh. Because they have, like, that's sending them off to die. He sent them into a desert wilderness with some water bags and bread. This is the guy who has thousands of silver and sheep and goats and camels and donkeys. Like, why didn't he send them with a small caravan? Maybe a servant. Like, I just don't, I don't understand why she was sent away in those conditions. And how Abraham would do that. And that doesn't make sense to me. Unless it was with the intent for them to die. So, she wanders. They run out of water. She takes her 14-year-old and places him under a bush and walks about a, uh, a bow shot away. So she knew how to, and later, like, I'm pretty sure she knew how to shoot an arrow. And... And she, she walks away and she says, I just can't bear to watch him die. I'm going to sit further off. But God hears them. And an angel of God called to Hagar and said, What's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is. Help him get up and sustain him, for I will make him a great nation. This is God following through on his promise. Even though Abraham sent them off to die. I wonder if this is something like um, when Abraham is tested with Isaac later. Because he's he sent his son, not his only son, but at this point his older son. And he, he, um, he asked God, and God said, listen to what your wife is telling you. And he was concerned, and, and God said, no, don't be concerned. Do what she's saying. And so he sent his son away in faith that his son would become a great nation. Because it says, I mean, God told him, I will make Ishmael into a great nation with 12 tribes. And so he's, maybe that's what it is. But anyway, let's, let's go back to where we are here. So uh, 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. And she went and filled the water and gave him water and they were revived and they settled in the wilderness. And he, and he became an archer. And they settled in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt, which is her home country. So they went off and he eventually became an archer and a hunter and and uh, they moved further and further into the desert, into um, modern-day Saudi Arabia. And he lived in the desert, and, um, and they eventually became 12 tribes that filled the whole peninsula of now Saudi Arabia. So I actually found a really cool um, article that traces um, the sons of Ishmael. There's other references in the Bible to his his descendants, and then other references to those descendants, just scatterings of what happened, and then other historical documents. I would love to see, I'd love to learn more about what happened to Ishmael and his children as descendants of Abraham, and how they ended up, and what, what God taught them, and how they, how they rebelled and obeyed, how they submitted themselves, and how they fought against his commands. That's not the end of the chapter, though. So then we've got this other section here. So then Abimelech, who is the the king who um, took Sarah, and then he had a dream, and then he, you know, told all of his servants and returned Sarah along with a whole bunch of stuff and a thousand silver. And uh, so he he comes up and he says to Abraham, "God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here by God that you will not break an agreement with me." or with my children and descendants. He says, I was, I, I was faithful to you. Um, I, in a clear conscience, took who I thought was your sister, but turns out to be your wife, and as soon as I found out about it, I returned her, and I, um, I, I paid a, a witness price to show that she was, um, that her honor was not um, maligned in any way. So I've kept faith with you, uh, so that you will keep faith with me. And Abraham said, I swear it. But there was this little thing where there's a well and some of Abimelech's servants had taken it, but Abraham didn't actually tell Abimelech. So, so then they make a covenant and they set that up. And, um, and then uh, they accept the... So, so they make an agreement about being uh, friendly neighbors. And then they also make an agreement about this, the wells and the place is then called Beersheba, which is um, uh, the well of the oath, where they made an oath and agreement. And so then uh, they became buddies. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he worshipped. He worshipped the Lord, the everlasting God. And I was curious about the, the everlasting God as a, as a name of God. And so I, I looked it up, and I, got, I found two interesting things. Well, hand, I mean, that verse has just got a, a lot in it, and I don't want to take too much more time here. But Abraham planted a tree, um, and and what's interesting is after watching some um, Bible Project videos and listening to a lot of their podcasts, I've been keeping an eye out for trees because ever since you know Adam and Eve, places where people encounter God are often at high places with trees. 
or a tree, a single tree. Uh, and that diverges in a lot of places in the Bible to the high places. And usually the high places have either a tree or a pole where people will worship pagan gods. And, and here, I just want to make sure that we don't, like, every time there's any, ever a high place mentioned that it's evil. That's not the case. Here, Abraham goes to this place, and I don't know if it's a high place or a low place. And he planted a tree, a single tree. This is the same kind of tree that the pagans would use to worship by. He planted a, a tamarisk tree alone. A single alone tree on a high place is super iconic. And there, he, and, and the translation is not worshipped. The translation is, um, he called on the name of. So he called on the name of Yahweh. El Olam. So El is the uh, prefix for Elohim, which means God in the generic. Like God, lowercase g, or uppercase g is, is Elohim. Uh, it's also spiritual being. It can be translated um, uh in a lot of places it's translated God, but in a lot of places it's translated as angel or demon um, or spirit. So L is the prefix for powerful spiritual being. So L, Olam. And Olam is um, perpetually or in perpetuity or forever or eternally. This is the same that that God uses when he blesses. He says, I will bless you and and your generations in perpetuity, forever. Olam. Maybe it's Olam. Olam. Um, and so, he calls on the name of Yahweh. God perpetually. God forever. God eternally. And that's powerful. There, the I don't know. We have we have this word for worship, and it is used um, in a lot of different contexts. Mostly, it's used in singing, in Christian circles. But here, it, it, we translated it as worship. But the he called on the name of God. He recognized that God was greater than him. He recognized that God's name has meaning and power and that um, that he as a servant and, and slave in a foreign land that he represented God to these people that when when somebody heard about this Yahweh God they would go oh yeah isn't that Abraham's God and and we're not there yet but when we get to the very first commandment um the very first commandment is, um, do not take, do not bear the Lord's name in vain. And, and we've trivialized that to don't swear. But what does it mean to bear the name of someone? It's to have their name on you, to represent them. Do not, don't, don't represent God in a way that brings him dishonor. And, here, he is calling on the name of Yahweh, God eternal, to honor him, to bring him glory, to respect him, so that the people around him would come to him and say, 
hey, everything you do is done well. You live differently. You live in a way that is honoring to God, to a God that I don't even recognize or understand, but he is powerful and he is doing things in your life. And I want to I want to honor that and I want to honor that God. I want that God to be my God also. Because that God is real and interacts with people in the world. And that's the God that I serve. 